without singing accidentally the Star Wars theme. Sing the theme to Superman. Go. Nope. Did it again. This one's got the major seven in it. Oh, I do like the. It's very uh, last time on Superman. Welcome to Your Inner Child is an Idiot, the super podcast where we look back on things from the past and see if they were any good to begin with. My name is DJ. My name's Damon. So before we even get into this, Damon, I have to I have to show you something. I've been kind of hiding this for all time, but I'm actually Superman, as you can tell. Oh my God, my eyes look so small. Why didn't that happen to Clark? Why doesn't that happen to Christopher Reeve? Why does he still look remarkably <laughs> handsome when he takes off his glasses? I look like the turtle in those cartoons when he takes off the glasses and has the beady little eyes. Okay, we're going to talk about Superman 2. Yes, Superman 2. Starring Christopher Reeve. The sequel to Superman, a lot of people don't know. We covered that a very long time ago, so check the archives for the original Superman. I don't know if I want them to check the archives. Yeah, get back there. Dig in. No, let's not. My voice hadn't changed yet. It's just don't. Just don't. Hadn't taken up smoking. Didn't have the robust rasp that I do now. I would say our recordings have gotten better, but I'm not sure that's even true. <laughs> yeah, check the archives, unnamed listener. Wow. Because we're not going to be covering anything that happened in Superman 1. If you don't know what's happening, you only have yourself to blame. I don't know why I snapped, but... I remember enjoying Superman. And actually, when we went back to it, of course, I loved it as a, as a kid. Who wouldn't, right? But... Watching it again, I think I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it and how good I thought Christopher Eve and Margot Kidder were. And I think this is where that begins to go off the rails, if I remember correctly. And I've only recently learned mostly from you about what happened behind the scenes because Richard Donner famously got fired, famously to you, and then recently found out by me. <laughs> I don't know if it's famous if only one person on the podcast knows. <laughs> famously to one of you. Yeah, he did get fired about half. I mean, I think a lot of that Richard Donner's original plan that he mostly executed was that he was going to film the first and second movies simultaneously. And that's why we see the three Kryptonians in the first movie, and they pop back out with all their campy glory in the second movie. And then, for some reason, the tensions soured. Contentions sour? Between him and the producers, I think the Salkinds are their names, and they fired him, brought in another guy. I want to say it's Irving Kirshner, but that also might be the guy who directed The Empire Strikes Back, and I'm just conflating two people. Or he gets so many letters. Actually, I think this guy had a similar name to Richard Donner, or like initials were similar. It was something weird. And Richard Lester. Richard Lester. Richard Donner got replaced with Richard Lester. And he added a lot more like slapsticky stuff into the movie. Like people, ice cream cones flying into people's faces, that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember this one. Be so at some point, Superman, I feel like the story is still interesting because this is the one where Superman loses his power, right? This is when he confesses to Lois Lane that he is Superman. She finally figures it out. The glasses aren't working anymore. He doesn't have the beady little eyes, so it's less obvious. He doesn't have the beady eyes. He's just got those steely blues. And so he gives up his powers because he feels like he cannot be Superman and Clark Kent at the same time. And then, oh, uh, wouldn't you know it? 
Kryptonian's land right as he gave up his powers and banged the hell out of Lois Lane. The Kryptonians did? Yeah, they land right after that when they're still in their fortress of fuckitude. Why am I recapping the film? I don't know. You're, you remember this very well. I preferred this one as a kid over the first one. The first one for me, I think when I talked about this when we rewatched it. It's not as long as I remember it being, but I remembered it being like three hours long and taking forever before he actually gets Superman in a round. And this one I feel like gets to the action really quick. That's actually just the just the flight scene where she has the poem to herself. That is three hours in and of itself. <laughs> this one I remembered enjoying more. And I think proto-homosexuals Jason and Damon enjoyed General Zod in this. I feel like Margot Kidder gets to go a little bit more, not sexually General Zod, just l- the lunacy that is Terrence Stamp's interpretation of General Zod. And we liked, Margot Kidder gets a little, I feel like she's a little sillier in this one. And we also both, as young boys, like to reenact. There's a scene where, spoiler alert for Superman, because we haven't even watched it yet. But at the end, he somehow tricks the Kryptonians into losing their powers. And Margot Kidder was being held hostage by the female Kryptonian. And she turns around and goes, you know what? you're a real pain in the neck and punches her. And then she falls into the thing. And me and my brother really liked that scene. And we would watch it and rewatch it and then reenact it. That sounds, we're both homosexuals. I should note. <laughs> that sounds very stupid, but now I kind of want to quote that. I like it because it, it seems like she's, it's almost like Mrs. White's flame speech. It seems like she's leading up to a real gotcha moment. And then it's like, you're a real pain in the neck. That's all you came up with. But then she did kill her, so. She did murder that woman, so I guess it all worked out. (laughs) This is all, yeah, I mean, I'm interested. I've never watched the Richard Donner cut. Have you ever watched the Richard Donner cut that came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years now? Instead of this? In addition to. (laughs) I gotta watch the thing twice, meaning thrice. You always watch it twice, you overachieving. I know, but if I have to watch another cut, I gotta watch it thrice. I do also, I remember not liking that Superman loses his powers. And even as a kid, like the stand in for Marlon Brando and his mom are like, oh, if you give up your powers, you're never, there's no way to get them back. There's no way. Don't you do this just on a, you know, a flight of fancy. And then at the end, they're like, ah, here's your powers back, you old so-and-so. Remember all those consequences we outlined at the beginning of the movie? They aren't. I actually was reading a different thing that you could give up and not this one. This is this other thing. I won't tell you about that until Superman 3, The Quest for Peace. It's funny, like sequels, there's so many sequels now that I feel like it's even harder to keep track, but it would be like, there's the original one and there's like the Loses the Power ones, the Richard Pryor one, and then the Sun Guy one. So that's how I always remembered them. That's a good way to remember them because they're ac- it's accurate. <laughs> We've talked about this in the original Superman episode, but you you're not a big Superman the character fan, I feel like. I'm not. Although, don't worry, I still have staunch opinions about how he should be portrayed in movies nonetheless. I do think he's a little too Boy Scout. And I think I I came back a little bit watching Christopher Reeves when we watched it for the first movie. Because I think he does a good job of balancing and seeming like earnest without seeming corny, which I think is probably the tough line to cross. And with Man of Steel, which I did not enjoy, nor did I enjoy Henry Cavill. Don't get me wrong. I would still press my head softly into Henry Cavill's bosom. 
I want him to hold me. Just, oh, I don't know if I could get, I'm not tall enough to get in the nape. I guess I'll have to do the bosom. I'm not tall enough. I guess, no, 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 don't get a box. Don't get a box. I'll just do the bosom. Thanks, Hank. But Damon, you must into the nape. (laughs) Is he American? I don't know. I was. No, he's not. That's, uh, no, he's not American. I started to do an accent and then, like, in the first word, realized that he doesn't have an accent. All of our great superheroes currently are not Americans. Yeah. Robert Pattinson and Christian Bale, both not American. Speederman, not American. Superman, not American. It's offensive. Who's the new Superman? They haven't cast the new Superman yet. Oh, okay, okay. Henry Cavill is the- Yeah, where's he from? Henry Cavill is English. Okay, he's English. Okay. I, w- I was ready to do the accent, though. Okay, I doubted myself. No, you're right. Did you do an accent? I thought you were just doing a standard accent. I was about to- Standard meaning American. <laughs> the default accent. What's the problem with that? Straight, white, male, American. <laughs> default. I don't get it. Christian, able-bodied. Christian. I do think, speaking of Christian, that I always resonated with the idea of Superman as like an ideal, someone to aspire to. And I think that there's good and bad to that because there can be the like, oh, he's so faultless. But I don't think he's ever really portrayed as faultless. He is portrayed as someone who is like doing the best he can, which is, I don't know, admirable. But it I can see as if you were trying to be creative with this character, it can be difficult to create, put a challenge in front of him, right? Because it's like, he's impervious. Well, it's everything. Well, there's this little rock, super rare in the universe, but not so rare in the universe of the movie. Yeah, they keep stumbling upon him. They keep coming up with it. I thought this was an interesting tack when I was growing up, but I, I had the same thought where I'm like, I don't want him to lose his powers. The powers, I come to the theater to see him with his powers. I don't want to watch him do his taxes. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like Superman has lunch. <laughs> but I do like that it does give you a nice comeuppance at the end when it gets him back. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, and I think the thing I didn't like about the Man of Steel thing was that they tried to make him like edgy and like emo Superman. I'm like, no, we already have a, a superhero that did this. I know you know that because you just made three movies about him. You are the same producers as as the Batman trilogy that just came out around that time. So I always find that very boring. And then they went all the way in with the Batfleck and then the the Superman, and they're both grumpy at each other. And they're that da- everyone's had a comment about Superman versus Batman. I don't need to pile on to that. Are you saying your mother's name is also Martha? That made me realize that like they gave these characters that they both wrote the same mom's name. Was it like one of the people who created? Like why? Also, I think Martha would have been a much more common name in the 1930s when these characters were being invented. True. Okay, we're going to watch Superman 2. Watch along with us. We'll be back after this. I'm flying. Damon. You know, Superman's weakness is is kryptonite. Yes, it's his Achilles heel in a way. Yeah. Or also his kryptonite. My kryptonite is when I want to like support my favorite podcast or just not even my favorite podcast, just any podcast that I'm listening to right now. And I don't know how to do that. That's my kryptonite. I'm trying to see how this connects, but go ahead. Yes. That's your kryptonite that weakens you? I'm wondering if you can help me. (laughs) Is there an anti-kryptonite? Oh, I guess just not having it around. Is that the anti-kryptonite? Can you be the red kryptonite to my green kryptonite and tell me how I can fix that problem right now? Yeah, I guess. This belabored metaphor, I'll be the red kryptonite by telling you you can visit 
yourinnerchildisanidiot.com or just skip around the redirects and go straight to patreon.com slash yourinnerchildisanidiot if you don't like the government redirecting your internet traffic. Not my internet. <laughs> that You can just go there and join one of our many Patreon circles. Just a bunch of FBI agents like, hop, 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 like taking your browser and ta- <laughs> swarm, swarm, swarm. I'm just a guy. Yeah, you previously had a kryptonite. You had a kryptonite weakness, so it doesn't seem like you're just a guy. Well, because the kryptonite's still around, I'm just a guy. So now you're just a guy. What am I getting out of this? Like, why would I do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. Well, you can get certain benefits from being in certain circles. You can get your name in our credits. You have your name read at the end of the show. You can get a chance to uh, come to live shows. You get a, well, everyone gets a chance to come to live shows. You're saying there's a chance. Is that something we offer? Yeah. (laughs) At certain tiers, you can even request certain movies for us to, to look back upon, upon which to look back. Check it out. See what tier works for you. I feel so much stronger now. Yeah. Well, it's probably a lot like the yellow sun of our solar system. Is that accurate to the Superman mythos? Yes. Patreon.com slash And we are back. We watched Superman 2, the non-Donner cut. The Richard Lester cut. Everyone's favorite cut. Preferred cut. Does this have a colon Superman 2, the, the one with Zod? No need. Superman colon two before they figured out how (laughs) sequel titles really worked. And just to like peel back the curtain a little bit, everybody knows that we- Do you peel curtains? Just to like slice off a piece of the curtain real quick. Stuck on something. To uh, part the orange peel real quick. (laughs) Everybody knows that we take a break and watch the movie, but it might have really ruined your illusion to understand that I got sick between (laughs) the intro and the outro, but you know, here we are. And I've gone through puberty. You look great. Thank you. I'm just kidding. My testicles are just as toit as they were when I was a boy. Toit? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm afraid so. I don't know why my brain was like, try this. Would you like me to recap this movie? Because I will fucking do it. I would fucking love for you to recap it. The movie also recaps itself. It's a self-recapping movie for the first movie. We got comprehensive previously on section at the top of the movie. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. I wish more movies did this. And then about 90 seconds in, I was like, I'm glad no more movies did this. Yeah, a a quick recap, I'm all about. Like, I think you're here for a sequel. So a little bit of expecting you to at least generally know what's going on is okay. It's like a two and a half minute long. I mean, it's the whole opening credits is recapping scenes. The only thing it was missing, I think the only thing that could have rescued it, if they had gotten Angela Lansbury to just come on and just go, last week on Superman. Does she do that for the regular Superman? For two murders she wrote. For some reason, when I think of previously on, even though it's been on a lot of different shows, I think of X-Men because they do that all the time, the X-Men cartoon, previously on X-Men. And it was usually the guy, whoever voiced Cyclops. Anyway, Superman. That's a different comic book company altogether. So they would never get Cyclops to introduce last time on Superman. It would just confuse everyone. Okay. Superman. He's palling around with Lois Lane. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, palling. I love her. I'm going to tell her. No, nah, I can't tell her. She figures it out. Basically corners him. He go gaslights her, but then eventually does tell her. Reveals to her that he's Superman. And then he's like, hey, I'm going to go in this little crystal cube. Give up my powers. Because even though you don't know this, and I had no discussion with you about this, (laughs) I have found through a crystal videotape of mom that 
I have to give up my powers if I'm going to be with a normal person because I'll live forever. She said so. It's kind of like the Twilight situation, right? It seems like it's inferred that- It's a reverse Twilight. Yeah, he has to give up his powers if he wants to be with a regular person. So he does. Lois is like, what the fuck did you do that for? Yeah, she was just like changing in the other room and she was like, I was just like brushing my teeth and you're over here giving up your your entire personality? Remember how I didn't like the dweeb version of you? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you know it, that happens to be the time when three Kryptonian felons, Zod, Ursa... Felons, they cannot (laughs) vote on Krypton anymore. Zod, Ursa Minor, and Chin... Ursa Minor! Non, I believe his name is. Non, non. It's hard to tell with the Kryptonian accent what, what exactly he's saying. The big, not talky one. They get busted out of their little flat mirror prison, the Forbidden Zone, and they come to Earth and they're wreaking havoc. And you're expecting, where's Superman during all this? Superman's getting a swerve on because he gave up his powers. He can't do anything. If he didn't give up his powers, Lois Lane would have been cleft in twain. He had to, that's why. The mom didn't say that because, you know, she's a mom and she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, during the swerving term I'm familiar with. I've heard getting your swerve on, and I don't even know if that's what that means. And I'm not sure that's how you describe it. Swerving is a verb I associate with something I don't want to happen because I associate it with like trucks <laughs> fishtailing on the highway. I don't want that. No, thank you, sir. Kind sir. Please stop fishtailing on me. But what are we to do? These are three superpowered beings. They've taken over not so much the world, but the United States, and therefore, the world. It was a much more positive time towards America's uh, place in the uh, geopolitical system. I mean, we're we're fucked. This is irreversible. They said, this is irreversible. You can't do this and then just decide on a whim to reverse it. Giving up his powers, he can't, he can't just get them back. Yeah, there's no way back. There's no way back. His mom said so in her living will that she left. What is he to do, Damon? Go back and see if his mom was being entirely forthcoming about it being reversible or not? Yeah, turns out you can just fucking reverse it. So he did. (laughs) And then he defeats the Kryptonians by tricking them, a little reverse power move. And so they lose their powers. They fight in Metropolis and then threaten a bunch of Metropolitans. There's some fighting. Yeah. This is still technically a recap, even though it's like nine minutes long at this point. Still shorter than the recap of Superman 1 at the beginning of Superman 2. And uh, they're fucking defeated. Throws them down some crevasses in the Fortress of Solitude. Which seems like OSHA should really step in. I don't think open crevasses, without railings at least, are really good in a, in a workplace environment. Against regulations, but, you know, up there in the North Pole, anything goes. Yeah, who's regulating that? Norway? Yeah. I guess they, have, they probably have pretty strict <laughs> workplace regulations, actually. <laughs> they seem like they would want people to not die. That's basically what happens. I want to just put a pin in a few things that we don't have to talk about right away, but I want to get to. Yeah. Well, no, just generally, we got a lot of introduced Superman mythos in Kryptonian. We got a little bit of Kryptonian history. We got the, I know the crystal technology was in the first one, but there's a lot more crystal technology. There's the booth of power losing. There's the fact that you can reverse that. There's (laughs) crystal videotapes, which I don't remember, but I think that was also in the first one, but I'm not sure. They are. That, that is in the first one. Although I found out in researching this because I was like, I know that Marlon Brando filmed, because these were filmed concurrently, 
So I know that Marlon Brando filmed them, but I found out that the producers were so cheap, they cut Marlon Brando out of this, refilmed all his scenes with the mother rather than Marlon Brando, because Marlon Brando's contract had him get a percentage of the grosses, and they didn't want him to. So they cut him out. Even in the recap at the beginning, they cut the shot so that he is just sort of sliced off during the trial of the three Kryptonians. You know what that is? Is that what I call them, the three Kryptonians? I don't know. Do they have name? It's rare you see a movie be so thrifty. They're Zod's boys. Zod and the the gals. Mm -hmm. That's what they would spray paint under Kryptonian overpasses. We got the infamous Superman saran wrap plastic S. Are we still sticking pins and things, or are we unpacking pins? I'm just saying there's a lot of mythos to get into, and I don't know if we want to just go through. We can start talking about that right away. I had a question. I mean, I will repurpose the question you asked of me during Lord of the Rings about Gandalf, and I will turn that back on you about the Kryptonians. What exactly are their powers? Because they seem just like a, just a, a sizzler buffet of whatever you imagine they can do, they can do it. They can use telekinesis. They can make things burn outside. They can just point their finger at people and make them fly. I will say this. I don't have a comprehensive knowledge of all Superman. There's just a lot out there. I've read a decent amount of Superman comics. I liked Superman, but there's a lot out there. And there's this turning point in DC Comics, and especially Superman. It's called the Crisis on Infinite Earths. They did it in the, I think it was in the 80s. I might get some of the particulars wrong, so any comic book fans, email Damon. His email address (laughs) is uh, ilovehobbits at hotmail.com. They did a big storyline across all the different DC comics called Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was a big crossover. And basically what they did is they said, all these things that have happened that don't make any sense and the continuity doesn't really stack up, those were different. There's basically a multiverse. There's infinite Earths out there. And there's a big villain that attacks. I can't remember who it is or what happens. There's a crisis. And basically... Everything gets either destroyed or merged, and there's now one universe. And from then on, now, of course, they screw they screw with that as time goes on. But like at that point on, that was a big turning point in comics because they're like, okay, now well, all this stuff's going to make a little bit more sense. It's not going to be as wacky unless it's like a one-off thing or like a miniseries or something. So there's a lot of like pre-crisis Superman, which is like 40 years, and then there's post-crisis. And so when you hear a lot of like stuff that happens – And this was like, they just started the crisis. Basically, all these movies came out pre-crisis. So some of this stuff might actually, and I know some of it is, from the comics. I like as this goes on, you become more and more breathless, but go on. I'm not so much excited, but just is a big giant caveat. Exhausted. It's a big (laughs) giant caveat to be like, listen, Superman comics were bonkers, especially pre-crisis. Because there's like, I'm sure some of that stuff's in there. I don't know if the plastic S is in there. I don't know. What powers other Kryptonians? They kind of lay the groundwork in this movie to be like, hey, this yellow sun is having an effect, which we know that's where Superman's powers come from. Same thing for them, but hey, it's affecting us in these new ways, and they're kind of discovering their powers. They don't really explain it so much as that's their one-off, one-sentence thing, which is really fine for me, is them being like, hey, I've got these powers, and I'm a different person than Superman, so I experience it differently than than he does. I think that's all the explanation we get. Especially since we've already been through it with Superman in the first one. I don't really need another explanation. I can just assume they went through a similar but more nefarious montage of discovering their powers, running against a train evilly, (laughs) watching their dad die evilly, those sort of things. 
leaping tall buildings in an evil bound. Mm-hmm. Being faster than a speeding evil bullet. Like from Mario. <laughs> like a bullet bill. <laughs> Before we get into all that, and we already have gotten way into all that. Have we not gotten into it, or is there more to come? I guess, yeah, there is more to come. I mean, let's just fucking get into it. Don't worry about the, put the pins away and let's just get them. Whatever you want to pin, let's just talk about it. One of the most bonkers things is that at the end of the movie, Lois now knows that he's Clark Kent. He's, she's been through all this. And so he gives her this wet smacker and she has complete amnesia, which I saw reference to the fact that that is, in fact, reference at one point in the comics, which doesn't surprise me because, again, bonkers. Bonkers. And also would explain why he can't be with a normal Earth woman if he every time they make out, she can't remember... Not only who he is, but what's going on in the world. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that, like, that's dubious in the first place. But also, can he turn that on and off? Yeah, I know. Is that like his, you know, ice breath? I assumed he did it on purpose. I will say, like, the way this movie... I like Margot Kidder's Lois Lane. I think she's my favorite Lois Lane, even after all the other iterations of Lois Lane. But the way she's treated in this movie is so... <laughs> rude. <laughs> they just throw her around willy-nilly. Primarily, like, they're sent to Niagara Falls, but Clark and Lois as a couple to investigate, like, a hotel expose. And I kept asking Tyler as the movie went on, I'm like, but what about the hotel expose? <laughs> Did they ever figure out what was going on? They just abandoned that story. But they're there impersonating a couple, and at that time, Lois starts to piece together that Clark might be Superman, because Superman appears as a boy falls into Niagara Fall. Pin for me. Fucking idiot. And he looks exactly like Superman. And, right. She takes off his glasses because the mist gets on his glasses. And then he, she's like, oh, of course, this super tall, broad-shouldered, handsome man I work with is Superman. And then at one point, Superman appears to save a falling boy. And she's like, and when Clark was out getting hot dogs for her. A funny Lois aspect that I enjoyed in this movie is that she constantly is eating hot dogs in this movie while also complaining that she's sick all the time and she's on this quest to like drink more orange juice to get healthy while like a cigarette is dangling out of her mouth. This is why I like Margot Kidder's Lois Lane the best. But she starts to piece it together. And so, and this is also fucked up. I mean, I don't want to abandon the, the end piece, but this is also fucked up. She's like... I'm so sure that you're Superman. I'm going to throw myself into the fucking whatever river feeds out of the, the Niagara Falls and you're going to save me. What? No, oh, you're just so confident with your, your white man and confident. I was just like, what's that kind, sir? Teach me the ways of geography. <laughs> Clark does not transform into Superman. He just stays in pure Clark Kent mode and rescues her in his very inept, bumbling way, which is funny, but I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's really committed to not letting her know. And then the next scene, he like burns himself in the fireplace and he's like, look, I'm Superman. I'm like, wow, that's all it took, but yet she almost died. It just felt like they were like, we need another action sequence in here. So come up with something where Lois tries to test Superman, but it's, it's fucked up. This is like, I don't know. It's, it's not like serious enough to be, it's more, it's more typical of like the damsel in distress thing. She's, you got this really interesting, funny, quirky character. And instead of sort of exploring it and let her do that, she, she gets the damsel in distress. She's always in trouble. She's this, of course that, that scene, she puts herself in danger. And the earlier Paris scene, she also does it, which I really enjoyed because it didn't feel as much a damsel in distress. I feel like it was a very interesting way of threading the loop 
of instead of being a damsel in distress, Lois Lane is someone who does not think before she does something. She's so intrepid, to borrow a term, that she is constantly getting into scrapes and hostage <laughs> situations. That's true. That's true. Also, under the umbrella of scrapes, terrorist attacks. And I like that, that she's not constantly just like a girl with a villain's hand on her throat. Although that later happens at the end of this movie. It, yeah, they, they kind of try to have it both ways, I think, because that is a really interesting aspect of her character. And, and it does make sense, right? It like fits her that she would just be kind of like recklessly going into these things but then also she still gets captured and put aside and then also like they just there's just like no actual discussion between the two of them about any of these decisions about about him giving up his powers which i'm not saying like she should be like lois can i he doesn't like tell her there's no discussion of like is this a relationship are we in love he at some point he says just say you love me and i noticed on my rewatch she doesn't she just kisses his hand so it's kind of awkward and she's just constantly as the movie goes on she just becomes more and more of a, like a plot device more than a character i mean margot kidder i think makes do with what she's given and she's a lot of fun to watch on screen but it did feel like she's just constantly being jerked around by clark which is not a good feeling rewatching this 40 years after the fact. I think it would be interesting to explore the fact that he is still not 100% human in the way that like, I mean, he's not human, but he's also like not had the full human experience because he's been doing this, this secret Superman thing the whole time. He's never been in a relationship. It would actually kind of make sense. I think it would be very weird for a movie of this era, especially to explore this, but that he's like so excited to actually have someone that he kind of does these things kind of recklessly as well. But the movie doesn't want us to think that it doesn't appear. It's just like, yeah, he does this thing so that when Zod attacks, he doesn't just kick the shit out of him, and which is fine. I think that's fine, but it is it, it would be interesting to explore that. But I think most importantly, I want to talk about the very funny moment when Perry White, the editor of the Daily Planet, is <laughs> describing the hostage situation in Paris that's taking place and has a Paris destroyed layout. And then as he's talking, he like puts it away and then has Paris saved. <laughs> Which actually, you know, you would have to prepare for both eventualities, but I just really liked that. No, it was a very, it's a very funny sight gag that I don't think I ever noticed until I watched it this time that he is flipping between these two to get them both prepared. Jackie Cooper does a really good job as, as Perry White. I don't think I wrote any funny lines, but rewatching it today, that interchange between him and Clark is very funny because they're both having like, they're talking to each other, but they're not having the same conversation. So Clark comes in and he's asking what's going on. And he's like, there's a terrorist attack in Paris. And he's like, oh, that's terrible. And he's like, that's why they call him terrorists, Clark. <laughs> and he says, I wanted to send my best reporter on it. And after Clark asks where Lois is and Clark's like, oh, she's she's in Paris right now. And he's like, yeah, sorry about that. I mean, you're you're a great reporter, but you're no Lois. And it's not even what Clark's talking about. It's a very charming back and forth where I think Perry White gets a little bit more in the first movie, but it is fun to see him back here again. I also thought it was weird that they established that Lois is his best reporter. And then after she cracks this fucking London hostage attack with a nuclear device, she is sent to expose a possibly corrupt hotel in Niagara Falls? There's not a hostage situation every day, okay? True, but I mean, usually people have certain beats, <laughs> and I can't imagine the beat that covers hostage situations internationally, and then also, <laughs> also covers 
swindling hotels, also technically internationally. So maybe she's just an international reporter, but they don't have like different news desks in these other these other cities. Well, we never got the exciting resolution to the hotel expose that you're jonesing for. So maybe it would have gone would have gone so deep. I wanted to know what they were doing. Like, what is the scheme? It went so deep to the Parisian mob. I did enjoy the bellboy, just a little aside, the bellboy that takes them to their room, who is so dismissive of Clark. And he, at some point, he's like, you can uh, carry her over the threshold. He's like a full, like, New Jersey, like, doesn't care about them at all. Clark's uh, trying to go along with it, and Lois is like, don't carry me over the threshold. And then the guy's like, have a happy whatever. (laughs) Just not believing that these people will be having (laughs) sex in any conceivable way. Just laughed a lot. So I have been really excited to ask you about this moment. When we open the movie, Lex Luthor is still in prison. Yes. Continuity between movies. There's a moment where <laughs> Lex yep, is in I already prison, have it here as well. And he goes to another prisoner and goes, I want my Liberace back, record back tonight. And the guy goes, there's a scratch on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So being that this is a movie from... 1981? 1980? 1980. Yeah, 80 or 81. IMDb says 81, but Max has 81. Who's Max? HBO Max, they decided to name themselves after the talent agent in The Sound of Music, and now they're just called Max. Well, when you've got HBO, it's like, it's associated with like, yeah, it's excited with like premium and like mega hit shows and always being- Associated with some of the best shows the past 20 years. Always being like, in the zeitgeist and in the conversation, what you really want to do is emphasize the Cinemax part of it. (laughs) Also, we have Discovery. Shark Week? Oh, that's sweet. Okay, so, being that this movie is from one of those years, this obviously is a sly joke or reference or... It isn't? Are you saying it isn't a sly joke or nod to homosexuality? No, it is. It obviously is to homosexuality and... Lex Luthor's proclivity for it, or is <laughs> is it a prison joke, or is it a is is Lex Luthor's gay joke? It might be a prison joke. I didn't even think of the prison joke. I think it's a prison joke, unfortunately, which is not as fun to talk about. There are a lot of fag jokes in this movie. I mean, they don't say fag, but there is that the Liberace one, and I will say the guy who says it's got a scratch on it. He doesn't say it's got a scratch on it. He says it has a scratch on it. He says it kind of like mincing. If you can say things mincing, I know you can move mincely, but you can't, I don't know if you can mince, mince words. Checkmate. Myself from two minutes ago. They left. So we're on our own. (laughs) (laughs) They found it offensive that you said fag on the show. When I was doing the uh, the nose blowing before, they couldn't take it. But then later within the NASA scene with Cliff Clavin, at one point, the moon mission is between the Soviet Union and America. and, And the guy who's like running the whatever you'd call the the rover or whatever on the on the moon. He says, yeah, me and Boris are in a relationship now. And the guy at Houston says, yeah, I saw something in your Rorschach tests. I'm like, man, another, another kind of like gay joke. And then I feel like there was a third one. And I was like, what is that? Why are there so many of these in here? I can't remember the third one, though. So you're off the hook today, Superman 2. I mean, they're hardly, I'm not, I'm not calling the HRC or anything to boycott a 40-year-old movie. It was just weird to me that one of the things I've learned in doing this show with you is like, wow, there are a lot more fag jokes than I remember in these these old movies. 
I mean, these are these are pretty tame by those standards. I'm not sure why you'd call Hillary Rodham Clinton for that, but like, whatever. <laughs> uh, she handles that now. That's her her thing. She's just got, I got a direct line to her and she's like, yeah, I guess I'll look into it or whatever. Good Hillary impression. I do want to point out, if I ever do serve life in prison, I do want not only the standard prison bar uniform, I also want an ascot, please. Full ascot. I was talking to a friend online, Zach, a fellow artist that we follow each other on Instagram. We were talking about kerchiefs, how men were constantly wearing kerchiefs in the 70s. We were naming some of our favorite men from the 70s that wore kerchiefs. But then I got confused. I started thinking, I started to have a Shazam Kazam moment with kerchiefs and ascots. And I started, I was like, did they wear an ascot or they wear a kerchief? Did Adam West's bat Bruce Wayne wear a kerchief or did he wear ascots? The answer is yes. <laughs> he did wear kerchiefs, though. He wore a little dainty. Fred, of course, from Scooby-Doo. But Lex Luthor wears an ascot, which I like. I'm trying to remember. Is it also striped? I don't remember that. I don't want to get completely off topic here. Yes, I do. Also, this is not going to have much conversation to it because it's uh, completely budgetary, I think. But Miss Tessmacher appears just in the very beginning of this movie. Lex Luthor mushes with her on her way to the Fortress of Solitude, which she just figures out where it is. Mush, Miss Tessmacher. And then she's just gone. She's just not ever in the movie again. I mean, this is probably one of my bigger criticisms of the movie is that Gene Hackman, who is having a lot of fun as Lex Luthor in this movie... He appears in the first half, and I almost forget he exists until he reappears in the latter act of the movie. And I'm like, oh, right. And then I can't remember why he's there. He's just sort of around scheming, but not successfully. So it just sort of undercuts him into just sort of comic relief rather than an actual threat. Miss Tessmacher gets the short end of the stick. You're absolutely right in that she shows up for act one and then mysteriously disappears and is never seen or heard from again. Same with Otis. Yeah, Otis too. And Miss Tessmacher has like one of my favorite moments in this movie, which is supposed to be funny, which is she just repeats everything that Luther says. She's like, beautiful. And she's like, beautiful. He's like, genius, genius. Like a little tiny repeating machine, like a maintenance face. She also points out that the Fortress of Solitude does not have a bathroom, which is what she she wants. Now watching it in retrospect, I didn't put it this like concretely when I was watching it, but in retrospect, and then of course reading about the troubles of putting this movie on it actually makes sense that like the beginning has a lot more Superman one elements and then kind of like gets weirder. I mean, there's plenty of weirdness in the very beginning too. So like, let's not give it too much credit because you've got Luther, you've got Otis, you've got Tessmacher and you've got like sort of the continuity of him being in prison. You've got the classic terrorist attack, which is more like the shenanigans that happened in the first one. <laughs> it gets kind of wilder scrapes and shenanigans, terrorist attacks, those silly little things. Nuclear devices put on the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Killing hostages. I did notice, did you catch this? When they are coming back from the Fortress of Solitude in Miss Tessmacher's abrupt send-off, there is a voiceover. There's just a far-off shot of them on their snowmobile cruising across the northern wastes. And there is a voiceover. I am led to believe it's supposed to be Gene Hackman. But the more I listen to it, I'm like... I think that's someone doing a Gene Hackman impersonation. 
He's basically just unloading a bunch of like exposition, almost as his big send off before he comes back in act three. He's like, goodbye, everyone. I'll see you in an hour. He says something about alpha waves. And he's like, that explains why I've been seeing three alpha waves on my little black box. Southward, Miss Tessmacher or something. It's just a gobbledygook of nonsense. But just to sort of lead into the three villains appearing and shenanigazing the moon later on by killing astronauts. That's the shenanigan they're participating in. There's a really funny moment, and you're going to have to help me remember the context of it. The one that, like, the cop, like, the sheriff or something is like, Dwayne, you're going to learn to kick ass. You want to be a peacemaker. <laughs> He's talking to a new recruit or something. I'm trying to remember what happens. When the Kryptonians finally arrive on Earth, they terrorize a town in Idaho. There's a sheriff and I guess like his deputy who's like this sort of string bean guy. Dwayne. <laughs> he says something like that. Let's talk about the Kryptonians. First off, I want to say, I can't remember if I said this in the intro, but my brother used to date a guy named Houston and it slowly drove him insane that I would constantly call him Planet Houston <laughs> in Terrence Stamp's voice. He didn't appreciate it, but you know who did appreciate it? Me in droves. So this is Planet Houston. That's why they end up in Idaho, because it's like called Houston, Idaho or something. Is that tr true? I didn't even catch that. Because he says that, he says to the news reporter, he calls it Planet Houston. And the guy says, Planet Earth. And he's like, Terrence Stamp just says, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> I love them, the Kryptonians. I have some, I mean, I have some notes, but I just want to get out a gushing amount of praise. Mostly because we don't see, we don't see a lot of, and you'll probably correct me in a minute, but I, I feel like we don't see a lot of fun villains in comic book movies anymore that are kind of, you're kind of sad when they die, but they feel like threats, but you also like, they're the most fun characters in the movies. So you're like, ah, they fell down that crevasse. Terrence Stamp and Sarah Douglas, who plays Ursa, are a lot of fun together. They're both arch camp. They are very eye emotive, which I appreciate. They're constantly rolling their eyes, cocking their eyebrows, slow blinking when they're annoyed with Non, who's played by Jack O'Halloran as the mute one. He's also pretty amusing too, because he's, yeah. He is, he is funny as well. They're all three are very enjoyable. I mean, they do a perfect little sort of trinity of comic relief, but also feeling genuinely threatening, I think. We can talk about like the sort of the changes that Richard Lester made and that the big like fight in the finale. But I do feel like when they take over that Idaho town, there is a real sense of menace to them while also like playing this. They do a good job of like balancing the menace with the silliness because they're sort of surrounded by these. It's probably not the best view of rural America, but they're surrounded by violent hicks <laughs> who have guns and are kind of like maybe dim-witted. And one English child that I'd like to put a, a pin in real quick. Did you say English? I meant to say English, but I did say English, which is what a sick person would call an English person or what someone might confusingly refer to as someone who lives in an igloo. Oh, you live here. It sounds like a slur. I'm not going to ever say that again. <laughs> Did you not catch the one kid who was in the Idaho town who's like, please, sir, please put down my daddy? And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? I think I thought I was just like, you know how bad acting in the 70s and 80s had like a lot of the same. It was just like they all went for a mid-Atlantic thing, which can kind of sound <laughs> English. 
Yeah, it, it has that sort of clipped like English phrasing. It was just very distracting because everyone was like going full on into, well, I don't reckon we take to the lacks of you around here. The classic Idaho accent. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this this person comes in like Little Lord Fauntleroy and <laughs> is begging someone to put down my daddy, please. Please, sir. I have some more daddy out of your grasp, please. I do also want to point out Ursa, who I really appreciate in this movie more than I ever have before. From the string bean sheriff's deputy, she takes his sheriff's star. She rips it off of him, claiming like, oh, is this the symbol of your leader or something? She wears it for the rest of the movie, which I love. She like has a little trophy of this Idaho sheriff's deputy for the rest of the movie. She has it emblazoned on her chest. She's wearing it to the moment she dies in this movie. I love her so much. I also love when she does that, the arm wrestling thing. She's great. Yeah. I love them all. They also have a great moment, her and Zod. I mean, they're kind of, the movie kind of implies that they are romantic or have some sort of sexual relationship because they're kind of flirty and and like sometimes look at each other like an old married couple and sometimes a little flirty but they also because known doesn't speak they are the only ones that talk so they're sort of the movies relying on them but at one point during the metropolis fight he goes he cares he actually cares about these people uh and she goes sort of like pets and he's like i suppose so like just so dismissively uh, about human lives Charming. Charming to the end. It's more charming when you do it than when I actually watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> really? I love I love every moment of it. It's so ludicrous. Did you notice that when so Superman gives up his powers and it's like we're gonna be together forever? And then <laughs> Lauren said, How are you gonna get home? <laughs> They're just in the fortress of solitude. And then Yeah, that that is a fair question because they just suddenly are in a car. Does that mean that Superman like has an old Chrysler at the Fortress of Solitude just in case? He's got the space. Or do they rent a car from what where? The Yukon? Like where do you go? Where's the nearest Enterprise that you can stop by and just pick something up? Although if you call Enterprise, they'll pick you up. Even the Fortress of Solitude. It's one Fortress of Solitude way. One. You can't miss it. <laughs> if you hit Santa's workshop, you've gone too far. Turn around. <laughs> It's all Kryptonian architecture. You'll know when you see it. Nope, that's the Bass Pro Shop. Turn around. Mid-century Kryptonian. <laughs> they end up in a, and like, I feel like this is the scene I always think of when I think of Superman 2, which is the bar fight. I assume it's in Metropolis. Is that correct? That's when they get back to Metropolis or I guess en route to Metropolis. I assumed it was like on the way back, but I never thought about where until just now. I'm like, was this in Canada? Like, where was this? It doesn't really matter. It's not really connected to anything. They do all kind of like have like a little bit like rural accents. It's, I wouldn't say it's easy to place it in a particular region of. I mean, the Fortress of Solitude is confirmed that it is in the North Pole. Is that correct? It's not just in the Northern Territories and they sort of round up. It's North. That's all that Lex Luthor says is it's North. In the first movie and this movie, they treat it as far away, but they also treat it as somewhere you can walk to. Clark Kent, as a teenager, walks to it, and then we see Clark Kent depowered, walking to it and hitchhiking to it, and I'm like, who's driving to the North Pole? Like, who are you hitching to? Yeah. At some point, you're going to run out of road. <laughs> Ice road truckers, I don't think, are doing that yet. Well, and someone with, you know, superhuman Superman powers, sure, you could fly to it, but like, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't know. Did you like it when the Kryptonians shot Mount Rushmore into their faces? Yes. 
Yes, I did. It was stupid. Don't get me wrong. It was beyond stupid, but stupid just enough where I was like, so stupid. I love it. You know what else is stupid? But also one of the reasons that I think that Superman is an interesting character, and I know you don't, that's fine, but is the sort of striving to make the right choice in every situation, right? It's sort of like, I think that's admirable, and I think that's an admirable trait. It's very Christ-like. He's trying to do the best thing. I wonder if any movie has ever delved into that. Any two movies, one might pers- one might say. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Oh, my God. I get it. And when Superman flies, sometimes he put his arms out like that. Anyway. Okay. So, but then in a very non-Christ-like moment, when he loses, <laughs> loses his powers, he's sitting at a seat, and this guy who's being a cantankerous asshole comes and tells him to move. And instead of just moving, like... Any weak person like you or I would just do. He ends up putting up a a stink and then gets the shit kicked out of him because he's not Superman anymore. Like really the ever loving shit kicked out of him. Like in a disturbing fashion, like more disturbing than any other fight in both either of these first two Superman movies. There's blood. There's never been blood before. (laughs) Yeah, it is a very like bloodless action movie, both, both this one and the one before. So this moment makes it very... I don't know, more. It's not, it's very fake looking, but it's like much more visceral than anything else. It's affecting. Yeah. I mean, it's somewhat effective. I mean, it's only a undercut, I guess, by the fact that it's in this storyline that I fucking hate. <laughs> this, you're going to lose your powers forever. Wink. <laughs> well, the problem is, and maybe this is a reason to watch the Donner Cut, because I do think that's, that could be interesting if you explore it in a certain way and explore like what that means, what it means to be. Superman, what it means to be like to love someone. Did she just love him? Because, you know, all those kind of things, which are are all like interesting and very like human storytelling, interesting things, but they didn't do any of that. (laughs) And also immediately reversed it. So it had zero consequences other than he got the shit kicked out once, which I assume he heals from immediately. (laughs) That is also a good point is that they also, even for as frustrating a, a sort of plot hole it is what makes it even more frustrating is that it's almost completely like reversed they don't even sit with it he goes to one hot dog diner and then he's like oh i gotta get my powers back i really didn't think this through me not smart he didn't even like go confront zod or like he saw a news report he saw a news report and he's like ah fuck (laughs) and was like oh really should have thought thought this one through and we're like fucking yeah i will tell you i've got egg on my face just because of all the, the terrorizing of the Kryptonians. That particular thing seems like something that should have happened in the first movie when he's like discovering his powers, discovering the downside of having these powers and not being able to really ever be truly human. What if I could just give all that up? You know what I mean? It's one of those like kind of things that I feel like we've seen before in other movies, but is an interesting thing. And then realizing, oh, with great power comes great responsibility. And I don't have, you know what I mean? Like now I like the the world that I love that I've adopted as my home is now in trouble and I can't help because I was selfish and I wanted these things. You know what I mean? There's interesting beats there. None of that. We're not getting any of that. <laughs> We're implying all of that ourselves. You can like learn that lesson just by like filling in the blanks. But like he has no none of that at moment. He never says any of that. He never discusses it with Lois. He's got this finally he has a confidant that he can talk about this stuff with. He's given up his life or his powers is like his reason for being to be with her and they don't even talk about it. I'm like, I don't think you two actually like each other that much. 
You bring in two points that, I mean, the selfishness that you're implying is interesting because the only person who refers to themselves as selfish is Lois Lane at the end of the movie. So that sort of selfishness that you're sort of attributing to Superman, which I, I kind of agree with, he sort of took on this mantle and then gave it up because he wanted to get laid. Like, get in line, buddy. We've all given up superpowers. <laughs> We're all wanting to get laid. We've all given up our own superpowers to get laid. I used to have a full head of hair, but it's something I had to give up. Real monkey's paw situation. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I wanted to point out that I'm losing as I, the more I talk. Think about it. Get it. Fuck. I was talking about if he was a teenager and I was talking about if he didn't talk about anything with Lois. Yes. The other thing is that they do take away this this sort of moment that he could have someone to like actually share like Superman's thoughts with, which we don't we don't get a lot of interior life with Superman, which is probably a lot of why I am not that interested in Superman. I think there is a place for Superman. I think he actually would be a very unique superhero in the current landscape of superhero movies if i'm going to be saddled with them until the end of time like at least having one who's like relentlessly i wouldn't say positive but someone who is honorable and honest to a fault is kind of interesting in the current landscape of supermen or superheroes it would be interesting to see rather than what like the grim dark edgelord of man of steel which also did not sit with me i was like no 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 we have a character that does this and you've already hinted you're going to have him meet this other character who's also dark and edgy this is exhausting and then the movie came out and i was like i was right this is exhausting i made my preference for i love all comic book movies but like i think in general like the mcu has executed things lately not so much but like in general and dc like marvel went for everyone is a quippy guy and dc went for everyone is like a brooding dark guy and it was like we don't all i know who i want to have lunch with i'll tell you that neither of those are the way to go Yeah. And I mean, I think actually, I mean, Captain America, Chris Evans' Captain America is a great example of like, oh, here's a character you can do who is like truth, justice in the American way, while also having an interesting story around him and him having to question that while also still being an honorable G golly G type character. You don't have to make it so quippy, but dear God, don't make it edgelord stuff. Hold on. I do want to sort of talk about, because one of my faults with the Kryptonian storyline is that they take over an Idaho town, and then it is assumed they have pretty much brought America to its knees. They go to the White House. No, they they do. Before that, though, the White House is just sort of watching on TV like, ah, shucks. They're waiting for Superman. Oh, they just ruined my Mount Rushmore more over here. And it seemed like, I live in America I guarantee you America would be dropping nuclear bombs wherever they could. I think it's implying, and I don't think, well, but I think they're implying that the world and especially America has gotten soft because they rely on Superman to deal with these things. And they're just like, so that you see the president being like, oh, I don't know what, where's Superman? I don't know what to do. I would say, I would argue again that I had that same thought. I don't think the movie is implying that. I think that is something we are bringing to it. We bring into that. That's fair. I I don't think it's, yeah. <laughs> the vibe I got in this sort of post-Nixonian portrayal of the presidency was like, no, 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 this guy's a good president. He's an honorable guy. And I think it was trying to just sort of speed up the process. I wish we had seen maybe a little bit more destruction from, and maybe that was the whole point of the sort of silly Mount Rushmore scene, but I wish we could have seen a little bit more. Like, do they, maybe they attack something else and they attack a bigger area and- They show them wreaking havoc, yeah. Right. 
I could have done with that. You kind of get that with the Metropolis scene, which has highs and lows, but that's already after the president kneels before Zod, famously. And he says, oh God, and Zod goes, Zod. He corrects him. Also, one of my favorite Terrence Stamp lines that I really connected with, Terrence Stamp, when he is in the Oval Office, looks down and sees the American seal with the eagle on it. He says, I see you are practiced in worshiping things that fly. Good. Almost imperceptibly quiet, says, good. Ah, just charming. Maybe sexually attractive? Yes. (laughs) Are you more Terrence Stamp then or Terrence Stamp now guy? Terrence Stamp now is still pretty attractive, I think. He's got those cheekbones still when he's Chancellor Valorum in the Star Wars prequels, which are 20 years old, which is fine. But yeah, he's a handsome man all around. But there is something with his trimmed late 70s beard and the slick back black hair. Yeah, there's something going on there. The deep V of his Kryptonian, <laughs> Kryptonian prisoner garb. Very charming. So I do like the idea of Lex Luthor just sort of like sliming his way into the whole situation. He's like, this is my chance to get rid of Superman. I don't know what's going to happen with these guys, but I know they're going to win. So I'm just going to like show up and just weasel my way into this. He does say in that weird voiceover that I suspect is not Gene Hackman, he says, maybe these three people will be just as against life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Something like arch supervillain that was like, okay, that's too comic booky a line for someone to actually say out loud. Well, he does have this this great moment with, I think it's Zod who's like, he flies then? And he goes, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that Gene Hackman isn't kind of fun in the end. I'm just sort of wondering what purpose he serves. He's just sort of there, it feels like. It's not that it's out of character or something. It just feels like kind of overkill at this point and kind of undercuts his character after he was the big bad in the last movie. Now he's just sort of being sort of sniveling and weird in the latter half of this movie. He does just want Australia. And it is, it honestly reminded me a little bit of like people kneeling before Trump, like the way that they're like constantly like trying to get Trump's approval, even though Trump betrays people like it's a bodily function. Like he constantly, loyalty is never actually rewarded. The only reward is I am not mocking you on Truth Social today. But I sort of saw the same thing with Lex Luthor and Zod in that he's constantly giving Zod information on Superman and Zod briefly congratulates him. And then within minutes is like, okay, kill him. We don't need him anymore. And he's like, no, 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 no. I brought you Superman, the greatest criminal mind of our time. It's funny, but it just feels a little bit like overkill. Like we paid for Gene Hackman. We're using Gene Hackman. I guess there's a way they could have made him responsible for bringing them back for, but like, you know, hold on. But unfortunately, it's Superman and that goddamn H-bomb in Paris that causes the Phantom Zone. Superman does it. It just, the chances. (laughs) Why is everything flying by Earth? Every Kryptonian article is just flying by. You're telling me this like four by four square flat happens to be. (laughs) That seems odd. It's insane. I will say there is a moment in the final scene at the Fortress of Solitude, which gave me a flash of something that could have been interesting that they don't really develop, in that Lex Luthor finally realizes that Zod is never going to help him. Like, he's always just going to use him for what he needs, and will the threat of dying will always be present with Zod. And you get Lex Luthor sort of plays like, 
hey, Superman, I just realized I always know where I stand with you, even though we're like antagonists. You are honest, and so I always know that you are not going to murder me. Maybe we can join forces. And there was almost like this, like I was thinking of like X2, where Magneto and, and Dr. Chuck have to like combine to fight Logan Roy from Succession. I thought that might be a moment. And then Lex Luthor just Lex Luthor's and betrays Superman within seconds. And I was like, please stop fucking around with me, movie, and get on with it. My heart, I can't take it anymore. (laughs) Did you notice, this is just a small moment. Okay, so the big battle at the end, Superman and the Kryptonians are fighting in the streets. And yeah, and then, you know, they're like blowing at each other a lot. Why are all the people, we see a lot of cuts of people running away and getting pushed around or whatever, which I think is good. Wigs flying off? Yeah. Well, we'll get to the weird... I think the general idea of showing this effect is good. Like, there's people here. Superman, the reason he flies away is, like, he sees all this, and he's like, no matter if I win this bout or not, people are going to get hurt. I need to get out of here. Henry Cavill, take note. I don't care if people think I'm a coward. I care that these people are not hurt. We can get all that without him having to say that, and I, I like that. But... The shots they use of people, what is happening? There's a guy on roller skates that like keeps going. There's the the wig. There's a guy on a, on a phone that gets knocked over and then just keeps laughing. Like, what is happening? Supposedly, this is Richard Lester's doing. This is the difference between the Donner cut and the Lester cut is that Richard Lester added a lot of these silly beats in this scene. And and that is probably what makes me most curious about the Donner cut is there. These action sequences aren't so silly. There's a moment where a woman comes out of a Kentucky fried chicken and her wig comes off and then her husband's toupee flies off. She says, my hair. And he says, your hair. What about my hair? And then a woman comes out like the Kentucky fried chicken clerk comes out and she, she says, you forgot your receipt. Whoa. It's very like laughing. Like it's very weird. It's a weird choice. Because the whole premise is it's after Zod says, oh, I know his weakness. He cares about these people. So they're trying to terrorize, that's why they call them terrorists, Clark, the people of Metropolis. And Lester seems to, if the sort of apocryphal nature of, I've not seen the Donner cut. I guess it's not apocryphal. I could just watch the movie and find out, yes or no. But that is, I think, one of the big changes is that these sort of comedic beats were added by Richard Lester to lighten the mood. And it sort of saps the danger of the scene because everyone's just acting silly. The guy on the phone is fucking weird. The other comedic beats, I'm like, I'm familiar with comedic beats. Thank you. Yep. Got it. Got it. Got it. The guy on the phone, it's like, oh, is he a psychopath? Why? If I was in a phone booth and it tipped over and I was in it and I was being blown down a city street, I would not be laughing hysterically. It's just so weird. At least have him go, oh, 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 oh. But instead he's just laughing. Yeah, that's more like, this movie's for kids, so let's be stupid because kids are stupid. I was like, wait, no, they're not. They, they, okay, well, some of them are, but they get it. I do appreciate in that Metropolitan scene, two lines I just want to get out that I did laugh at. When Superman finally arrives, it's sort of his big comeback after he gets his power back. Lex Luthor goes, Superman, thank God. <laughs> because he realizes he's getting the short of the deal. And Lois's work frenemy, (laughs) 
says, also with a mysterious, I think this is a mid Atlantic accent, but it always reads weird. She's like, the big one's just as strong as Superman. It's so weird. But Lois pushes her over, which I think is very funny because I think Margot Kidder is charming, especially when she's violent. I didn't remember exactly that, that I got this from this movie, but there's a moment where when Superman gets his powers back and he beats up this human being, the guy that beat him up when he lost his powers. And then the guy just looks at him. He throws a bunch of money and then when he looks at me. He's like, oh, I've been uh, working out. But he does this like very weird. Does a very like effeminate workout motion. Then pushes up his glasses. Oh, I've been uh, working out. <laughs> very cute. One other thing about the Metropolis thing that I hated when I was a kid was when Zod or Non or one of them picks up the... I'll call it the Empire State Building, although technically it can't be the Empire State Building. They pull off the radial tower from the skyscraper and they throw it down on a crowd of people. And a woman looks up. She has a bassinet with her. And she just starts screaming and saying, my baby, my baby, help. And I'm like, move, move five feet in any direction, by all means. But it's probably because people have become soft. What was Superman flying around? People don't move when they're in danger. They just wait for Superman to come save them. Teach a man. I have in my, my notes, move the bassinet lady. Teach a man to Superman and he'll never something, something. <laughs> Let's go to the verdict. Come on, please. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> Damon, what is your verdict? Thank you. First things first, I want to mention some actors who are in this that don't get their due. Richard Griffiths, you might know him as Mr. Dursley, is one of the French terrorists. The guy who is the news beat reporter in Idaho, I know him as Lieutenant Santano from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but you might also remember him being force choked by Darth Vader in the first Star Wars movie. I don't have his name in front of me, but he seems great. <laughs> okay. That's all I got. Cliff Clavin. I enjoyed this movie. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as I used to when I was a kid. Oh yeah, Cliff Clavin. John Ratzenberg. John Ratzenberger, of course, Pixar's mascot or whatever. It's the lamp and then John Ratzenberger. Yeah, this is a fun movie. It's interesting to watch in our current glut of super heroism at the cinemas. What is that phrase? That's a weird phrase. No, you're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> Keep talking. I enjoyed Terrence Stamp's performance and Sarah Douglas's performance as Ursa and Zod. Again, I will reiterate my comments about Christopher Reeve from the first Superman movie episode we did, which he, I think I underrated him when I was a kid at playing Clark Kent, but he's really good in both roles. The more superhero movies I watch, especially when there's an alter ego element to it, it is tough to pull that off. A lot of times you're a good Bruce Wayne or you're a good Batman, but it's rare that you're both. I think he does a great job of almost like completely changing his physicality when he's Christopher Reeve to hide the fact that he's a strapping, hot, six-foot-tall, muscular man. He does a good job of like just completely changing his persona. Even when he's running, when he's trying to save Lois Lane, he runs kind of like Woody from Toy Story, just like legs flopping all over. I also want to give a Sally Field award to Niagara Falls bystander who screams, what a nice man. She's still great after all these years seeing Superman rescue that boy. I could say that, I promise you, listener, 
He says that almost every day. <laughs> it's deranged. I'll, I'll second only for the usefulness of it. <laughs> I do like it. It's great because whenever you see a nice man, you can say, what a nice man. But also, it's fun when people say just simple declarative sentences that explain a character. Superman, col- Superman 2, colon, what a nice man. I would say what a nice man, because starting with what has to be an exclamation. It's still a simple sentence, but. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. I apologize. But yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as good as the first one. I think I don't I don't know the details, the ins and outs of the Lester versus Donner cuts, but it is a little bit more uneven than I remember. There's a lot of campy elements that I really do love. There's a lot of plot holes that I really do not It feels a lot shaggier than it did when I was a kid, which is funny because this is a much shorter film than the first film. And yet there just seems to be people who are there for the sake of being there. Gene Hackman. And it feels like other characters just sort of disappear. Miss Tessmacher, Otis. It's a kind of weird movie. But I enjoy it in a fun way, but I don't know if it's a great movie. DJ, just stop me from talking and give us your verdict. Well, you didn't really give us your official verdict still. Oh my God, what the fuck is wrong? Your inner child is not an idiot. I will side on that end of the spectrum. I will say that you're an idiot. This movie sucks. (laughs) And I can't believe that I have to wait through all of that. No, that is actually how I feel, although not that angrily about it. This is very uneven. It's very wacky in a not enjoyable way. I Some of the camp elements sound more fun when you're describing them than I had watching them. I generally think I enjoy like Terrence Stamp as an actor. I was expecting more. I like Christopher Reeve as Superman. I like Margot Kidder. I don't think they could save it from this movie. This I think there's a good movie in here, which is why I'm curious enough that I think we should watch the Donner Cut, even just for fun. The most problematic part of, the, of this movie is still in the Donner Cut, so... The Liberace. You lose your powers forever. Comment. Here you go. <laughs> if you loan me a record and you tell me it's in pristine condition and I find out there's a scratch, I'm not giving you the record back. Those are prison rules, baby. Everybody knows that. That's that's the rule everywhere, <laughs> not just prison. I can give it back. Your belongings are mine if they are not in the exact condition you promised them. I can't give it back to you because I damaged it. Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Okay, so anyway, no, I this is this movie's terrible. Like I had I remember liking this. It's terrible. terrible? I, I remember enjoying this a lot more when I was a kid cuz I was dumb. I feel like you're forgetting uh, Superman 3 and 4. Like come on. Those are worse. That does not make this good. <laughs> this is leaps and bounds worse than the first one and that one single leaps and bounds? Evil leaps and bounds. <laughs> Like, this is maybe on a good day, a C minus. Yeah, you're a child's an idiot. And I love Superman. I think that's maybe part of the problem, too, is I'm like, you know how, like, you can love a movie or you love a musical artist, and then you're like, well, yeah, but not that part, not that song, not that, not that. And you're like, do I actually like Superman? I don't like all the campy elements. I don't like these powers coming out of nowhere. I don't like the half of the villains. And although I do, I do like the Kryptonians and I agree with your assessment of the fun elements of it. It's kind of like me with the Simpsons when I was like, well, not that season and not that season and not that decade. But wait, do I like the Simpsons? Statistically, no. I don't like 25 years of what they've doing, but I do love this show. You're like, wait, what? Anyway. <laughs> You're a an idiot. This is bad. Don't watch this. What do you think, everybody? Tell Damon why he's wrong. You're an idiot at gmail.com. 
Oh, yeah. What you got, Tip? Tippy just walked in. She might have some thoughts on, on Superman movies. I don't like those fascist characters. She thinks all superheroes are fascists, so... And after seeing how Superman reacts to just a mild pushback from a diner patron, he might be a fucking proto-fascist. I'm not saying the beating the shit, ever-loving shit out of someone is good, but I'm like, just let the guy have the chair. He's being an asshole. You and I would just both move or leave leave the diner. There's other chairs. Hold on. I have a question because you made a face when I said that Margot Kidder was my favorite uh, Lois Lane. Who is your favorite Lois Lane? I did make a face, but that that was more like that was a bold statement. I don't know if it's just because she's my first Lois Lane and I'm like, yeah, that's what Lois Lane is. And so when I see Amy Adams just sort of being in a movie, I'm like, why did they pay you? So why did they pay this Oscar nominee to just stand around? <laughs> she's like doing her nails in one scene, just on a folding chair and in, in the destruction of Metropolis. Yeah, just let me know when you need me. That was my Amy Adams impression. Who else is there? I do like a Terry Hatcher. Terry Hatcher. What's her name with the the hydrochromia or whatever the fuck it's called? What's her name in Superman Returns? Oh, yeah. The one who looks literally like a 14-year-old child and it bothers me. <laughs> yep. Well, naturally, as I always do, I do this by myself. I like to thank our patrons. DJ is always like, fuck them. But I like to make sure I, I thank you by name. So let me just naturally go over here because I had it already already. I would like to thank our patrons just because... Lindsay Halleck, Scalphosaurus, Tommy Boy is my favorite movie, Travis Vance, Beth Sermont, Karen Kurd, Larissa Maestro, Lindsay Nell, Particle Man, Superhero, Shit on the Cartouche, T. Smith, The Elusive Fan Gromkin, Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Caroline Amberson, Demons Australian Scene. sounded like that kid in that Idaho town, David Mort, Dr. Malcolm's Heaving Bosom, Heather Tuggle, his Honor the Mayor, Jackson has an unhealthy obsession with Damon, James Taylor, Jeremy Pallon, Jonathan Day, Josh Frigo, The Hands of Fate, The McWilly House of Cats, the supreme ruler of this podcast, and The Zesty. Thank you for listening, everyone. We appreciate your patronage. And if you want to become a patron, you can come to patreon.com slash idiot. Thank you for listening, everyone, and we will see you again in Superman 3, the one with Richard Pryor. Oh, by the way, hold on. The woman's name, Kate Bosworth. Also, Tyler's boyfriend, James Morrison, is in that. Cat sound. (laughs) What can I say? I am a liar. I am a liar.